0: You're tuning in to the Bookmatic's Best Book Podcast, where you will discover author secrets from books that'll make you feel, grow, and learn. These authors are from all over the world, all different backgrounds, and you are sure to learn a whole lot from their personal experiences. So please enjoy, subscribe, and let's get into it. Hi, Bookmatic Lifelong Learners. We've got a great guest here today, Jim Reese. Uh, he's the author of Vicious Cycle, uh, which is a you know really interesting book. Uh, we've got uh, a lot about cycling in there, but it's not just about cycling. It's about a whole lot more than that. Uh, welcome, Jim, to the podcast. Thank you so How much for How are you, Matt? Time.
1: Yeah, Yeah, um, well, UK to Indonesia, am I right in thinking it's Indonesia that you're in? Yes, Indonesia. It is, yeah. (laughs) So a seven hour difference in time. So um, Mm -hmm. it's your evening, my afternoon. So um, yeah, it's, um, it's a real pleasure to be here, Matt.
0: Yeah. Thanks for coming on for sure. So uh, can you like introduce yourself, maybe uh, talk a a little bit about your book and then I'll have some other questions for you that
1: uh, the audience can listen and watch and enjoy. Okay. Yeah. Um, Introduce myself. I always find that an interesting one. Um, How do you, uh, who are you as a human being is a great question, isn't it? Um, yeah I'm a a parent to four kids um, and and the book as you've already read it Matt you know uh, the sort of the warts and all the whole the whole shooting match of my life from uh, knee high to now and um, so that's two marriages unfortunately two marriages but uh, the fortunate thing is there with um, four children as a result of those two really uh, magnificent relationships so Three children from my first marriage: um, two girls and one boy, and then a, a boy in the second marriage, um, who's my youngest, obviously. So, so two girls, two boys. Um, I'm a keynote speech, uh, speaker, um, so you know, do the sort of the conference stuff around the world, um, speaking about people's inner greatness. So, not about my accomplishments. I talk about the race across America and Ironman triathlons more as a sort of a background to me being a normal guy. And if if a normal guy can go and do some of these things, then anyone else, if they've got the right mindset, can put their mind to whatever it is that they want to focus on and achieve in their life, whatever it be. Not necessarily just athletic. It could be a career thing. It could be singing. It could be dancing. It could be anything that they want to do similar to yourself right now, you know, um, you've aspired to go and get your master's degree. So it could, you know, could be any of those uh, aspects in our lives. So um a keynote speaker and a one-to-one coach. So I'm qualified in emotional intelligence, which I'm really, 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 really super uber passionate about because, um, you know, the difference that makes the difference in life is not our ability to be intellectual, you know, like, the left brain side of things and know logically how to do stuff, it's being able to match that with a high level of emotional intelligence. So have you got the emotional intelligence to then use your intelligence in context when you're interacting with people? So um, you know, and so the coaching piece is uh, really important as well. So first and foremost, uh going back to introducing myself, I'm a I'm a dad with four kids. Um And I'm really passionate about the coaching stuff. And, you know, when I'm not injured (laughs) or recovering from an injury, then I'm cycling my bike or, you know, doing an Ironman triathlon somewhere in the world. So, Mm -hmm. and I'm still competing now. So, um, you know, I've got this year in May, I'm going over to Mallorca to do the half Ironman there. And and then in October, I'm racing uh, Barcelona, which is a full Ironman, Um, Mm -hmm. in october this year and in between those two races i'm crew chief for um, a solo rider that's doing the race across america again this year Um, i'm doing crew chiefing he's doing his first race across america as a solo rider so (laughs) um, i'm bringing all my experience from my coaching world and my experience from the race across america to build a team and get him safely across america Um, in ideally the top three at least you know I I think he is definitely going to be top three um, and potentially even win the race this year so I'm quite excited about that Mm -hmm. you know I I really had a a lot of fun reading your book because well you
0: talk a lot about the race across America which I didn't know really about before and that's what 3,050 miles right
1: yeah yeah Yeah,
0: that that is a an inspiring <laughs> feat that you explain throughout your book. And, uh, that's so cool, Jim, that you were able to do that three times.
1: Well, yeah, if four, mistaken, if you right? yeah, no four. If you don't count the, uh, the four man race across America that I did in 2005. Right. So yeah, three consecutive solo races, which I was lucky to have, um, phenomenal support from my then wife and family. Um, so 2007, 2008, and 2009. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, um, most people spend 10, 15 years planning to do one and only ever do one, but I was lucky enough to be able to do three. Mm-hmm. And I suppose for me, the Race Across America is considered to be one of the toughest races on the planet. And I think, I think one of the reasons for that is there are other races that are pretty brutal as well. Um, you know, the Marathon de Sable, there's a whole load of other things that you can go and mangle yourself as, as an ultra athlete, you know, um, lots of running races, multi-event races, but the the thing that makes this unique is the, the nonstop nature of the race. So you start in San, San Diego, and then you finish in Annapolis 3,050 miles later, and you have to finish the race within 12 days. So, you know, on average, you're, you're cycling between 250 and 400 miles minimum per day, every day until the finish of the race. And, and then of course, you're taking your sleep um, when you need sleep. So most, most of the riders, well, all of the solo riders are definitely sleep deprived and end up with ridiculous bouts of hallucinations and, and then all, all the weather conditions that you have to face during the race as well. So there's, there's a, mm. you're bombarded psychologically, physically, mentally, spiritually, it pulls you to shreds, but you know, and that's the, that's the, that's the attraction for nutters like myself. And I know you, you're, you're sort of more of a runner. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I, so, I love you my runners. Runners. yeah so, you know, and, and runners, anyone that's into ultra anything, Um, Or addicted, you know. We all have addictions as human beings, so you know that was part of my addiction at the time. You know, it was a it was a blind spot in terms of what it was doing to unravel my my then relationship, my second marriage, um, which is really sad, but that's life, unfortunately. Um, And you know, the blind spot for me was I was doing this thing, I was doing Race Across America, and fully focused on the Race Across America. Whilst, you know, my business was taking a bit of a downturn um, for two reasons, partly because I was so focused on the race across America, but also the bigger reason, I guess, is because the global financial meltdown was happening in 2008. And it really did, you know, for small solo uh, operators like myself as a coach, it really did knock the the corporate training world uh, for six and a lot of other, other industries at that time. And, you know, we've recovered and then COVID's come along as well to come along and, and give us a little bit of a um, a reminder that, you know, what's important in your life? So, yeah, the race across America is quite a, a spectacular race. And and I suppose the question that I get asked a lot, and I'm sure it might have been in your repertoire of questions the, this evening for you, would be, you know, so why? You know, what was your compelling why? What was your purpose behind doing three races across America when most people would be happy with just one and and for me it was genuinely um, my my I was driven to inspire other people to believe in what was possible and 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 it genuinely is that I'm not a I'm not a uh, Olympic cyclist you know um you know I'm a I'm an average club cyclist at best but what is quite steely about me what is quite you know, I've got a, an amount of stubbornness, determination, grit, call it what you like, but I've got a blend of that stuff that just, I'm, you know, once I get focused, I won't let go until I've got it done. So I, I, I was wanting to build a reputation, not to just do it once, but go back again and do it quicker and then go back again and then do it quicker. So could I apply a lot of the thinking, my mindset strategies from my coaching practice into um, performance on a bike, you know, in what was considered to be the toughest race on the planet. And, you know, I, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to go back from 2007 and better my time in 2008 and then better it again in 2009. And, mm-hmm. and of course, that being the case, 2009 was my best race. Um, I finished it in 10 days and 20 hours. And uh, that year I had uh, 13 and a half hours sleep in total. So that's, you know, in context, about an hour and a half per day over that 10 days, 20 hours. And that year I'd finished sixth overall. So, you know, it was my best finishing position, you know, and I think we had about 42 riders that year. And I was sixth overall out of, you know, the, the people that come from around the world to compete in this ultra cycle Beasting event,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it's absolutely amazing. The well, must you must have to have that strong, very strong mindset, as well as the strong body too, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think the mindset the mindset is the big piece, and and I've I've never. I, some people might think I I've downplayed the crew side of it. I I'm I'm not sure I did necessarily. I hope that I've given them good enough credit in the book. Um, Without a crew, you can't do the race across America. Um, What I was trying to depict was that um, in the book, and I'm not sure if I do really give it justice or the crew justice, but you definitely cannot do the race without an amazing crew. And each of the crews were pretty spectacular in terms of their commitment to you know being there supporting you you know um night and day 24/7 until the race is finished um when the race is finished they may they may not think of you in the same way uh, but they certainly will have had the most amazing amazing experience and those memories will stay with them for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. and um and that's true you know that's i suppose that's life isn't it if life is about trying to create as many special memories as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly the race across America is up there with memories, nowhere near um, up there with seeing your children being born. And you've, you've, you've got one, you know, you've got a daughter yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. you know, that, that is a spectacular thing that won't ever be beaten by anything, you know, but um, from a sporting perspective, you know, Ironman triathlons, um, but the race across america is for me my my pinnacle um now when i go and do an iron man it's sort of like well it's just an iron man it's sort of like 10 hours you know it's in comparison at you know 10 days versus 10 hours i can i can i can put up with the the sort of the suffering that you suffer when you're in a race you know yeah. that, that's race in an endurance race
0: yeah that is <laughs> but i mean like when you hear the word iron you're like thinking oh this is so tough but actually after you described this whole uh ram race across america i was just like oh yeah this sounds like the toughest race uh so yeah (laughs) just reading through this uh was was a very good experience and i'm glad that i got a chance to read your story so actually what uh like what made you decide
1: to write this book in the first place Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. Um, What got me to what? What? Why did I do it? I think it was part of. uh, It was part cathartic. It's been. It's been ongoing for a long time. So I started attempting to write this book when I was still married in my second marriage, and as that started to crumble, um, I. I think basically when the marriage did finish, it was a it was such a shock to me because it was a, such a blind spot. I didn't see it coming at all. Uh, I adored, um, my second wife and really thought that we were it. That was this, that, that was us. You know, we were, uh, a, you know, a lot of our friends thought that we were the sort of the model couple. Um, and it just was one of, it was one of those sad scenarios. I, I was blinded to the fact that our values were misaligned. So, um, And that was the thing that sort of the wheels fell off around that. And so for me, it was, the book was very cathartic in terms of, I had um, probably about six or seven months worth of therapy before I went away. Um, I went away to Brazil and I had, I suppose the ideal time to really focus all my attention on, okay, I'm, I'm in paradise. And also I'm by myself, although I was there to see my youngest daughter, but most of the time I was by myself and I could meet up with friends during the day, but actually I could also get into a routine of getting my head round, getting some real proper structure to the book. And that's what that's what helped me finish the book. And as as I say, it was really cathartic in lots of ways. So um, a couple of versions ago before the book got launched, it was actually quite gnarly. There were there was me picking through, My view of what happened, and then recounting what I thought my wife's learning should be from the whole thing, which, you know, that's not appropriate because her view, her experience is her experience. So I took all that out of the book once I'd realized, you know, I think it was cathartic to write it, but actually it didn't need to be in the book. Um, And I'm pleased, I'm pleased I had direction towards you don't need to say those things. You know, someone that's reading your book will be bright enough to know that there is another side to the story, and uh, you don't need to tell that, Jim. That's not your place. Um, and you know, so there were bits in there that I that didn't make the final edition, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So why why did I write the book? I wanted to partly I wanted to leave a legacy for my kids. So I wanted my kids to be able to sort of at some point in their life, they don't need to read it now, but at some point, you know, maybe, um, when I check out, um, or, or perhaps later in their lives, when they, when they feel the urge to read it, they'll then get a sense of what the old man gets up to in his spare time. Um, but it was, it was partly that. And also, again, I go back to my whole purpose. My purpose as a coach is to inspire other people to believe in what's possible. So, again the book I'm hoping will inspire other people to realize that you know nothing's um set in stone you know if you've had a a tricky childhood or you know not a great upbringing or even if you've had a great upbringing you still might be confused and not not really believe in yourself so I I wanted this to be a book that could help people leverage their inner greatness that's always there it's you know so I sort of touch on it in the book i think a little bit matt but not go deep into it but i really do you know through conditioning when we're born and i don't think i read i wrote this in the book but they they, they did a study about uh, 20 years ago uh they looked at 105 year old kids um, 50 girls and 50 boys and what they measured was their self-confidence and their self-esteem and what they found with these 105 year old children was that 95% had high self-confidence and high self-esteem, which was amazing. And your daughter mm-hmm. is that age now, you know, and this is mm-hmm. quite exciting as a parent to hear this. What's quite shocking when I learned that they then followed these children until they were 18 and not followed them all that time, but they, they then re, re-interviewed them and re-measured their self-confidence and self-esteem when they were 18. And what they found when they were 18 they only, only 5% had the same high levels of self confidence and self esteem, which was quite shocking, really, when you can consider, you know, well, what's gone on? Well, of course, we know what's gone on. Life has gone on. You know, they, they've then started going to school. They then get uh, judged by their, their peers, their friends, their parents, their teachers. Uh, they start getting told that they can't do stuff uh, from either parents or teachers or peers or society. Of course, kids nowadays, social media is a big thing. So we're bombarded, you know, these five year olds are then bombarded with experiences that either boost their self confidence. And if you're a great parent, then you'll be doing that all the time, um, or take away from their self confidence. And of course, most kids, unfortunately, get bombarded with that inner greatness that was planted when they were first born. Mm-hmm. gets dampened down over time they get keep on hearing that they, they they can't do this they can't do that and then they start believing it so the inner greatness gets dampened down it's almost like the light gets dimmer and dimmer and really it's our job as parents my job as a coach to shine some lightness on that darkness you know I, I mean my business is called the EI guru not because mm-hmm. I'm a guru mm-hmm. uh, it sounds quite an arrogant thing to call yourself A guru is just someone that shines the light on the darkness so as a coach i tend to uh where possible shine the light on other people's darkness create awareness where there wasn't awareness previously so you know as much as so i'm not some you know guru as such i'm just a guy attempting to you know i don't always have the the answers you know a lot of the time i'm still struggling with stuff myself you know so um but I'm trying to make sure that other people are reconnected to their inner greatness. So I know it's a long answer, Matt, about why the book, but the, the book's purpose is to inspire other people to believe in what's possible. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And uh, actually, Jim, I'm, I'm happy that you also included the, the aspects about your uh, marriages as well. Like um, to be honest. Yeah. I enjoyed reading that. Uh, I learned a lot from it. Uh, cause I noticed that, yeah, you were like totally focused, uh, totally focused on Ram and yeah, other things kind of like fell apart a little bit. Right. So that's something that all of us could really learn from. And, uh, uh, yeah, you, including those aspects definitely helped to make the book come to life. Like I could feel your soul in the book, you know, like, oh, yeah. I feel like you, you did spend a whole lot of time planning the book and maybe editing the book and like, Hey, which part should I have in here? Which part should I not have in here? Like you really, really thought through that. And it really does show in the book. So uh, thanks for doing that.
1: (laughs) I I, I wanted to, uh, I, I thought, you know, I, I needed to be, I needed to look at myself in the mirror. That's what, that's what a coach does. I ask other people to look in the mirror and look at themselves and see what patterns of behavior they're running I knew my patterns. So by me sharing my patterns of behavior in the most vulnerable way I could, I was hoping to create some awareness for other people to say, hey, look, you know, I, you know, I even I, even I, I know this stuff, but I still didn't know it. I still had blind spots. And I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to help the reader understand that, you know, I didn't deliberately go out and, um, demolish my last relationship. Um, I did it out of awareness, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm sort of holding my hand up and saying, you know what? I messed up. Um, I didn't get it right. You know, there's a, f- a number of decisions I would do differently if I had it again, but you know, unfortunately it is what it is, you know, mm-hmm. that was, that was my path and I've just got to accept it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm gutted that I, I upset, you know, people that were close to me, but, you know, I, I was operating out of awareness. I was so steely focused, so yeah, I, I'm hoping that other people can maybe learn from some of that, and um, and you know also f- forgive me for being out of awareness when I should have probably S- see the readers readers reading the book might think why didn't why couldn't he see this but uh, even you know and you, you you just don't because it's a blind spot you know if I asked people that are listening to this podcast what are your blind spots it's a it's a great question i ask as coach as a coach you know to people that i'm working with you can't answer that question people don't know their blind spots because they're blind and that's exactly i i had blind spots as well you know and um you know so going back to the whole point about the book it it was cathartic for sure um, and now I, I quite like it to actually just serve other people to help them see that actually a lot of things are very doable in our lives. Um, whatever it is, whatever goal we want to try and achieve in our lives is possible. Um, apart from maybe sprouting bring wings and flying from a mountaintop, you know, let's be realistic about it. That's not going to happen, but you know, other goals are very achievable. It's about a, a good mindset. You know, if you've got a, a good mindset, um, carry on. I mean, I've just been listening to Will Smith's uh, book, um, on audible, actually. Um, it's a, it's a great listen and he, he's very similar, you know, his, um, childhood was, um, very military, uh, in it, in it's in the way his father used to run their family, but will, um, of course had has continued to have phenomenal success, um, as a, as a rapper, as a TV person, and then more, more recently in the last 20 odd years as a, as a movie star. And, Mm -hmm. and it's great to hear so many of the things that he talks about. I'm thinking, yeah, no, I, I talk about similar stuff in my book about being very focused and, you know, determined and all these things, you know, so really sweet. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And like this whole aspect, like
0: of not, you know, having these blind spots, basically, like, what has, like, self-reflection or hindsight maybe uh, taught you about the way that you're, like, making decisions now in your
1: life? Uh, again, I guess, see, see for me, I, I don't, for me, my true north is still my purpose. So my purpose, my my purpose is to help people with that have got low self-confidence and low self-esteem so wherever anyone comes into my life that's got low self-confidence or low self-esteem if it's a friend of the family i'll you know it's i'll take time and spend time with them for free i don't look to charge for that stuff if it's a corporate then of course that's where i make my money you know that's my my, that's my day job um but ultimately my 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 purpose is to inspire people to believe in their inner greatness Um, so that means I'll, I'm. It helps me make choices about what I do and don't do. And again, it's interesting to maybe that's interesting for your listeners to hear that. But it's exactly Will Will Smith talks exactly the same way about purpose. Purpose is the thing that guides us. And I've been, you know, I do a lot of um, purpose workshops for organizations. You know, so big global organizations. Have they got a purpose? and And it's about the purpose that is the thing that drives us. So for me, it's always the purpose. Um, the thing that I'm more conscious of than you know if if you talk about hindsight is the values alignment. and and there is a values exercise in the book, as you know. And for me, it's about making sure your values are aligned with your partner's values. If you're in a relationship, make sure those values are, are aligned, or at least you're aware of each other's values so that you can then you know um, navigate towards each other as opposed to apart from each other. Mm-hmm. And the same thing applies Matt as well, of course, in organizations. you If you're working for an organization and your values aren't aligned with their values, it's going to unravel at some point. you know otherwise you're bending yourself out of shape, working for an organization that you don't believe in yeah so mm-hmm. um the values thing is big for me um and ultimately you know I talk about built for greatness and you know my purpose is to inspire people to believe in their inner greatness the other thing that I think and I'm, I'm not sure whether you you really um can't remember whether you commented on it or not but For me, the metaphor of the fingerprint is the critical piece for every human being on the planet. If we could, if everyone on the planet could get the metaphor of the fingerprint, um, you know, get it, get it. I.e., it's in their DNA. It's part of how they operate as a human being. So the fingerprint metaphor is if I had a glass of water, every time I pick the glass of water up, I leave my fingerprint on it. Now, depending on how emotionally intelligent I am as a human being, I'll I'll either deliberately, if I'm really emotionally intelligent, I'll deliberately leave a positive fingerprint in every interaction I have. So, and and there are three groups. I I, I talk about this in the in the book in particular. There are three groups that I think we need to be conscious of when we're thinking about p- fingerprint. The first one is the intimate relationships that we have, which is our family and friends so and these are normally the people that we take for granted you know so can we be mindful and aware enough to leave a positive fingerprint in all those interactions can we be mindful to turn the phone off and be really focused on our kids when we're with our kids or with our partner when we're with or with our brothers sisters etc and our close friends so that's the. I think that's the most important group because they're they're your life support system. The second group is the people that you interact with at work. You know, um, you're spending probably. You know, a third of your life um, at work, you know, um, with people, your boss, your peers, etc. So can you leave a positive fingerprint in all of those interactions? And then the final group, as you know, because you've read the book. Um, The final group is everyone else. You know, when you go to Starbucks or McDonald's or I'm giving giving away big corporate company names here. But, you know, when you're paying for the petrol at at your gas station, you know, can you leave a, a positive fingerprint in that brief interaction with that individual that you might not ever see again? Can you leave just a smile or just a nice interaction as opposed to a neutral one? Now, Mm -hmm. some people might say, well, I'm not really bothered about them. But actually, that's not the point. We're all brothers and sisters of this world community. And I I just think, you know, there's still um, wars and, you know, a whole load of terrible things that we do to one another as human beings. And if we could jump on board this fingerprint metaphor, wow. I mean, could Mm -hmm. you imagine what it would be like if we all deliberately left a positive fingerprint in each interaction that we had it'd be pretty cool yeah yeah definitely yeah. um so yeah i mean that that would be my banner i suppose i really want to be waving that all the time and i do quite a lot of course in the corporate world mm-hmm.
0: i do yeah yeah that was actually definitely one of my point one of the the one thing that I would like to touch on is the fingerprints and uh yeah I I wrote it down here so I'm glad that you started talking about it because well uh now I I don't have to ask that question (laughs) so so, I mean uh I I also would love to emphasize the fact that uh the fingerprint analogy was a really good one and I uh, when I saw that uh, I believe I posted about it on Instagram as well uh, so maybe that's why you were thinking I had talked about it, which, yeah, I had talked about it, but not in this episode. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, definitely the fingerprint thing is is cool. I think you mentioned a story about uh, this might not be the right part of the book, but uh, about like when you were going to the grocery store or something like that. And then you were like sitting there on your phone and then
1: someone. Yeah, yeah like, sure. We, would you yeah. marry me? I think it was right. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it, what a, what a remarkable gift uh, a young a young lady. I mean, she must have been at least goodness me, she must have been at least thirty five, maybe even forty years younger than me at the time. You know, th- this is quite remarkable. A young kid just serving on the checkout counter in one of our supermarket stores. And it was a lunch break and I was doing a leadership development program. I'd just been speaking about the fingerprint metaphor in that, you know, in that sort of learning environment with, you know, 12 corporate, you know, big cheeses. And um, I'd come out for a break at lunchtime to go and get some sandwiches and stuff. And this young lady, she was click, click. And I was busy, you know, out of awareness, um, completely not um, giving her any attention whatsoever And she was saying oh do you want to that you can get a two for one offer and i said no i'm fine you know and i kept on typing away on my phone answering emails and then as you say she um after about a series of three or four no no you know i was just really it was rude i was terrible it was just dreadful (laughs) i mean i'm still embarrassed i'm embarrassed telling the story now but it, it was a beautiful gift the whole learning experience for me because it was a reminder So she then, as you say, um, after she had about three or four no's from me, she then just said, will you marry me? And it was like such a curveball. It was so far left field. I wasn't expecting it one bit. And I just stopped (laughs) and just erupted in laughter. And I said, oh, thank you so much. You know, thank you. so much for bringing me back into awareness um that was so rude I'm so sorry and I said what's more, even more embarrassing is I'm a coach and this is what I preach to all the people that I work with you know so <laughs> yeah. it was a beautiful a good slap in the chops to sort of create you know wake me up from my stupor and let, let's face it we are, we all fall into that trap you know I'm not the only one I know that um, but it, it was a beautiful gift and a, a beautiful moment. You know, uh, I'm sure she must retell it in a different uh, vein. But it was just such a, a glorious moment of you caught the guru out. You know, ain't being <laughs> yeah. no guru now, are you, Jim? You know, so it was really quite funny.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, one of the one of the enjoyable stories in the book for sure. Um, so, yeah, is there any other advice that you would like to give today?
1: I'm not no, that, not really. Fun. No, I, I, th- no, I, I think. Um, are there things that any bits of advice? No, I, I think we've covered quite a bit. Uh, for me, it's about um, the fingerprint that we're leaving in every interaction. You know, mm-hmm. for people to really, truly uh, define their values that they, if they're in a relationship and if they're not in a relationship, make sure you know what your values are anyway you know, so that Mm -hmm. when you get into a relationship, you don't allow someone else to squash those values. I think it's really important. It's interesting as well that um, Will Smith, I keep on going on about Will's book, but at, at the moment, you know, I'm nearly at the back end of his book. He talks about, and as someone that's qualified in emotional intelligence, I also, it was beautiful to hear him say this. He was talking about, he and his wife went to a therapy session and the therapist was asking okay i want you to list down the things that are most important to you each of you separately so they did it separately and will um is then the therapist said okay so who's going to go first and will eventually i think his wife said well you can go first will so he started reading out his list and on the top of his list number 1 was himself now a lot of people might be shocked to hear that that you have to put yourself as number one so you you taking care of your health your well-being um is should always and i would always argue this point as a coach i believe it should be number one because you if you're not happy in yourself if you're not healthy yourself you can't then support and love your family 100 percent. so self does come first and so and we talk about this in uh, emotional intelligence Self-regard is the most important fundamental piece. It's the cornerstone of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I suppose it's a bit like the, your own oxygen mask first. You know, if you're, you're going to have a plane crash, don't put your kid's uh, mask on. Put your own first and then take care of others. And I think that's really, really important because so many people have got the reverse of that. They take care of other people and let themselves go. And then, of course, when they're doing that, as much as they feel good about helping others, they get over time, they get frustrated and pissed off um, because they're not doing the things they want to do for themselves, which then, of course, is a dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say that's the, the probably the only other bit of advice I would say is that you do have to take care of your own self-regard no no one can i can't motivate you matt i can't motivate you to do anything you can motivate you so we have to take personal responsibility for ourselves as human beings we have to take you know um responsibility for everything the whole shooting match you know one of the reasons i wrote the book you know i suppose it's just sort of dawning on me now is that i wanted to write this book to say i am taking personal responsibility I've looked at myself and I've vulnerably shared my patterns of behavior that weren't some, on, on occasion, weren't great. I can't, you know, I can't bend time and go back and do it again, um, but what I can do is I can help others see some of the sort of the, the bear traps that I fell into, even though I know this stuff, you know, or you would have thought I should know this stuff, but I, I had blind spots and, you know, they, they had consequences. Mm-hmm. you know so I want people to make sure they can avoid some of those traps um and have a more fulfilling loving joyful life mm-hmm. definitely yeah. I mean other than that um you know of course you'll, you'll probably put the links to the website but the website is the I, I I was saying to you earlier the best copy of my book is the one that you get directly from me which is via my website which is the guru.com And the reason for that is that yeah, it's that it's it's the um it's the hardback copy um as opposed to the soft you know the paperback version and um that's got the nice glossy photos in it and it's got the um you know and i can and of course i can sign i can sign the book as well if it's coming from here um in the uk other than that it's on audible you know so it's also an audio book and you know, if anyone's interested in the coaching stuff that I do, again, that's via my website, the EI Guru.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'll include those links for sure in the, the YouTube uh, video people are watching and the, the podcast people are listening to. So, uh, yeah, definitely put the links so that you can click and uh, get a hold of the book. Uh, and, uh, since you were comparing your book to, to Will's book or making, yeah, making some comparisons, you mentioned earlier before we started the episode about can't hurt me by yeah. David Goggins. I'm just curious, like just throwing this out there, uh, because I know a lot of people know about that book. And of course, a lot of people know about Will's book too. Uh, so maybe you can make a compared comparison to that one as well, just to maybe pique people's interest, uh, that way they can get your book because i feel like it would be uh beneficial for them so
1: yeah yeah when you you mean um i'm not sure what you're saying matt um i, I i've read david's book i've met david mm-hmm. david actually introduced us uh, all the solo writers in 2009 uh-huh. and david got a copy of the book so i don't know whether he's read it yet um but i know i got a, a letter from his uh, pa um, him thanking me for sending me a copy of his book so and telling me to stay hard so of course i'm going to stay hard david um yeah. but yeah no i it, um i think there is some parallels between david's story and my story and actually interestingly i don't really talk about it a great deal in the book but a lot of ultra uh, athletes do have um stuff from their childhood you know um in fact we all have issues with our inner child. We all, it wreaks havoc on all of us as adults um, in unhealthy ways. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're seeing a therapist, then you'll know about that. But um, in essence, a lot of our work as adults is about trying to take care of our inner child, be gentle with that little child is, that is trying to p- uh, get our attention mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason. So, yeah. 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 And, and I think David's book, certainly um, he had a very traumatic childhood. Um, it's weird because I don't really see my childhood as traumatic. But, you know, I think I think I articulate it well enough in the book to say that there's some stuff in there that's not particularly pleasant. You know, so um, but again, it's how you handle that. You know, it's how you lean into that one way or, or another um, mm-hmm. that shapes you.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jim. It's uh, very, very good to, to have you on the show. I'm glad that we got a chance to have this conversation. Uh, it's been going on for uh, quite some time now. So I hope that everyone has enjoyed it a lot. I hope you learned a whole lot from it and I hope that it has inspired you to get his book. Uh, because <laughs> it, it really, really will uh, open your eyes to, you know, totally different world, even if you're not into any sort of sports cycling or running or swimming or anything like that, you don't have to be interested in that to learn something from the book. Like I said, it's not really a book about cycling. It's a book about, you know, uh, uh, thinking behavior and the uh, outcomes. I think you mentioned it right in the introduction. So uh, you can learn a whole lot from the book. So definitely pick it up. And thank you so
1: much, Jim. Matt, it's been a pleasure and it's been lovely to meet you face to face as well, which is really nice. Yeah, face to face through Zoom. <laughs> yeah, so, very cool. Yeah, yeah that's fine.
0: Cool. All right, everyone, uh, have a great, great rest of your day and we'll see you in the next episode.